it is good again to be here this morning and to be able to open God's word. You know, it's funny. Um, it seems like every time uh, I see John, he reminds me of that story, and I don't even remember the story until he brings it up, and he just dredges up these uh, memories. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just remember I forgot my cell phone, so it was really my fault for not being able to communicate about the van um, breaking down. So everyone was in the dark, but it was definitely an interesting experience. So, but uh, um, I don't hold it against them because, I, like I said, I don't remember it until John reminds me of it. But uh, it's still a great story, you know. When you have friends, you always have those interesting remembrances of of uh, those fun times. With, you know, in a way that kind of brings you closer together. I'm thankful for John and Crystal and and their family and just the friendship we've been able to have. And uh, John's humility and, and genuineness, um, just in ministry, his desire to. To, to know people and to to, um, to see people grow spiritually. And uh, I'm excited for the, them being here with you all and, and to see what God will do as a result of their ministry here. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Uh, we'll just take a, a, just a few minutes and, and look at Scripture the, this morning. Uh, it, it's, it's always appropriate that we look into God's Word and, and find uh, truths that, that we should be able to apply to our lives, and, and particularly this morning when it comes uh, to missions. Uh, a few years ago, I read a book that, that really had a big impact on me, and, and, I, and it was uh, I think it would be a very helpful book for you all to read as well if you ever get the chance. Uh, the book is called The Key to the Missionary Problem. It was written by Andrew Murray. It was written in the year 1900, so uh, 115 years ago. And though it was written so long ago, uh, the book, when you read it, really, you feel like he, it was written today. It's very relevant uh, for today. Um, it was written after uh, the great missionary conference in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, his response essentially was to challenge the church with the need to reach the world with the gospel. You say, what is the missionary problem? Uh, the reality is it's not very hard for us to see as believers. When you look at the world, uh, the general world population, we see a world that the vast majority have no knowledge of Jesus Christ, a world that needs the gospel. Um, we live in a culture that is saturated with sinfulness and immorality, a world that hates God, hates the standards that he has set in the scripture, and doesn't like to be told that there's only one way of salvation. We really live in a world that needs the gospel. That's very evident for any of us as believers who want to look with clear eyes at scripture. But the reality is as well that the church has seemingly been ineffective to reach the world with the gospel right? There are fewer and fewer that are willing to be missionaries around the world. And even more than that, when you look at the vast majority of churches in the United States, a very small percentage of church members are willing to share their faith on a regular basis. Visitation programs are normally maybe a couple people, a handful of people, even in a large church. People aren't actively sharing their faith as believers. And it seems like the church in even, even America is shrinking. The world is in great need. That's the problem. But even greater problem is the reality that Christians are not effectively reaching the world with the gospel. So Andrew Murray wrote this book to challenge the church. And his challenge was that ultimately this problem is a personal problem that requires a spiritual solution. You know, we don't need to wait for a missionary to come along to see lots of people saved or a, or a, a new pastor to, to do things that are exciting to, to see people saved. 
The reality is that all of us believers are witnesses of the testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our hearts if we've accepted him as our Savior. And each and every one of us have that spiritual obligation to not only grow in our faith and our knowledge of Jesus Christ and our salvation that we have, but to share that faith with others. And in his book, he challenges the church. He said, you know, look at people like the Moravians who started the modern missionary movement. They were a small group of individuals, a very small church. They had very little resources. They were very poor. But they saw the gospel spread around the world because they were committed to the gospel. They were committed to that message, and they poured their lives into sharing the gospel around the world. Think about a man like Hudson Taylor, one man who inflamed China with the gospel through the China Inland Mission because of his passion and dedication for seeing the gospel spread around the world. And the reality is that if we are really willing to be serious about seeing the gospel spread, about living out the gospel in our lives, we can be the key to the missionary problem personally. It's something that we all need to determine that we're willing to make the Bible, the scripture, our salvation, the priority of our lives. We must be involved in reaching the lost for Christ. And as I thought about this book, it brought me to this familiar missions passage, Matthew chapter 9, that we're going to read here in just a moment. Um, and a challenge from Christ. This is Christ speaking to his disciples in the context um, he has been healing people, he's been teaching people, he's been challenging the multitudes. And he says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Scripture says that if we are believers that we have the mind of Christ. And here in this passage, we see Christ's perspective on the world. The world in need of his salvation He's looking at the multitudes, and we see Christ's perspective. And I want you to see in this passage three realities that we should see, really to have the vision of Christ when it comes to looking at the world around us, and ultimately two responses that we should have, the responses that Christ challenges us to have through his example and also through what he challenges the disciples with. First of all, we see that there is a great spiritual problem in the world around us. Looking at it, verse 30, 36 Christ says, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Here Christ is speaking to the multitudes. He's speaking to the people who came to hear him speak. You know, he had a, a very diverse group of people that would come to hear him speak. He had poor people. He had rich people. He had ignorant people. He had intellectuals. He had people that were part of the religious community that were well-established in, in religion and teaching. They were very knowledgeable in Scripture. He had people that were scripturally ignorant. He had people that were whole, but he had many people who came that were demon-possessed, that had diseases, that, that were really desperate for his help. And these crowds came to Jesus because he was a novel individual. What he was sharing with them was something they had not heard before. What he was doing and that he was healing people was something that they hadn't seen before. It was awesome. They came for lots of different reasons. Many of them were because they wanted to satisfy their own needs. Maybe they wanted to satisfy their curiosity. 
Maybe they wanted to be healed from a sickness or from a disease. But they came to hear him speak. But Christ looked past the physical realities, the physical reasons why they came. Because many of the reasons why they came really were for their own interests, for healing, for feeding, um, to be stimulated intellectually, um, to, to make them think about something new. Some of them were looking for a political leader who was going to free them from the Roman Empire. But Christ looked beyond that reality and he saw their steeper spiritual need and he describes them as sheep without a shepherd. He was burdened for their souls. You know, I think we can very easily apply this because in scripture, this idea of sheep, of human beings being sheep is very clear. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, Jesus Christ. As human beings, we come into this world and we're just like sheep. We go our own way, right? And if you have children, you see that very clearly, right? Uh, our 17-month-old goes his own way. When I put him down, I say, run amok, and he does. He destroys everything. He pulls everything down. He wants to do his own thing. Yet last night he wanted to go down the stairs and, no, Zachary, come away from the stairs. Come to Mommy. No, I want to go down the stairs. You know, there was screaming and crying when he had to do what he didn't want to do. That's human nature, right? It starts in babies, and, it, and just because we're adults doesn't mean we don't act like that, right? We're a little more sophisticated. We don't throw temper tantrums. But as human beings, we want to go our own way. We don't want to acknowledge God as our creator, and we don't want to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's human condition. That's the way we're born. That's a condition that only can be changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus recognized that. That's why he was in the world. And when he looked at the multitudes, he saw that reality. Let me ask you this. As you travel around, as you interact with people, do you think about them as lost spiritual sheep? Do you not stop to think of them as perhaps annoying because they don't look the way respectable people look? Or maybe they annoy you in, in the bad habits that they have. Or, or maybe they do this or that. Their music is too loud. Or, or perhaps they use profanity or whatever the case may be. We get annoyed by people and we unfortunately don't look at the spiritual reality of their heart. Because the reality is that the vast majority of people you run into have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're lost sheep. They're going their own way. Christ saw that very clearly in his ministry. And he sees this reality, and we come to the second point. Not only is there a great problem, a spiritual issue, but notice what Christ says to his disciples in verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. Not only is there a great problem, a spiritual problem in the world, but there also is a great opportunity. You know, we often don't think about that when it comes to souls. But the reality is that because there are so many lost souls in the world, there is a great opportunity for us to share the gospel. I talk to a lot of different people, and more often than not as Christians, we're bemoaning the state of our culture, the state of our country, and how bad things are getting. But the reality is you flip things on the coin the way Christ saw things. There's a great opportunity to share the gospel because you know what? As lights in darkness, we shine brighter when the culture gets worse, don't we? Scripture becomes more clear when the world gets more sinful. That's a true reality here. Um, he says the harvest truly is plenteous. This is an analogy that we all can understand. 
You all understand this a lot more than I do, um, but you all are coming up towards the harvest time, you know, winter wheat and uh, in uh, the fall time. Um, I've experienced harvest in, in different ways. I personally love, you know, sweet corn. I love apples in the fall, particularly. Um, you know, when those things come ripe, there's nothing like fresh, ripe fruit, right? It's ready. It's been through that process of growing. It's been on the tree or it's been in the field, and it's right there for the taking, right? It's been prepared. All you've got to do is harvest it and enjoy. Christ says when he's talking about human individuals here and their spiritual needs, he says the harvest is plenteous. The reality is that just like a field of winter wheat or corn or an orchard full of apples, that there are people that are prepared to receive the message of the gospel. You know, often we don't believe that, do we? We've shared the gospel with people and we've been rejected. Enough times that we've given up talking to people about the gospel because it doesn't work. People don't want to hear the message. I look at them and I say, nah, they don't want to hear the gospel. I'm sure they're stuck in their ways. I'm sure they'll never receive the gospel. And we pass up opportunities to share the gospel. But Christ says that the harvest truly is plenteous. He looked out at all those people, and he didn't see people that he thought, ah, they'll never accept me. The reality is that most of them didn't. Eventually that same crowd, some of them would crucify him. But he saw an opportunity to meet those needs, to heal the suffering spiritual people, those wounded lambs that were going astray. The opportunity is great. Christ's perspective sees the opportunity and not the burden, not the essentially the, the difficulties, but he looks at the opportunities. The harvest truly is plenteous. But notice what he continues. He says, but the laborers are few. The reality is there is a great spiritual problem in the world. There is a great opportunity for us as believers who have the true message of the gospel, who have been set free, who have that peace and joy who have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit living inside of us that helps us to become like Jesus Christ, to grow into his image. We have the message that the world needs. We have an opportunity. But unfortunately, the laborers are very few. There isn't enough laborers to reap the harvest. And unfortunately, we know what happens if you don't reap the harvest. It goes to waste, right? If you don't pick the apples from the tree, eventually they fall to the ground and they rot, and that opportunity is lost. There's just a brief window and there's a brief opportunity of time. The laborers are few. You know, think about when Christ is speaking this. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. Twelve guys. One of them, Judas, was going to betray Jesus. So there was really only eleven. That was it. Those were the laborers. And here's all these people. Even today. The laborers are very few. Not just the missionary laborers around the world, but believers who are willing to labor in God's harvest field to see souls saved. The opportunities abound. The spiritual needs exist, but the laborers are few. You know, today we're able to harvest with machinery, but could you imagine back in the day doing it by hand? You know, you had to hire extra helpers. What happens if you didn't have enough? You could only get in what you could get in. In a way, that's what God is saying. There's this huge field. It's all ready for you. And I can't get enough people to work in my field. If you say, God hasn't called me to that, reconsider. 
This is a challenge for all of us as believers, as we mentioned the Great Commission. All of us are called to be laborers in God's harvest field. So those are the realities that Christ sees, the spiritual reality, the opportunity to share the gospel, the fact that the harvest is ready, that people are ready to receive the gospel. We heard a testimony just this week of a sister they've been praying for for many years who she was ready. She was ready to be harvested. She was ready to accept the gospel. And they were ready to share and ready for her to receive. Don't lose your faith in believing that God isn't saving souls because he is. And God's grace is just as amazing no matter who is getting saved. Whether it's a good moral person or whether it's a drug addict on the street, God's grace is the same amazing grace. And we should be ready and willing to share the gospel and see God's harvest field be reaped. But notice what Christ's challenge is to his disciples here. You know, he could have given them a program. He could have given them a plan for how to reach the harvest field. But notice what he says in verse 38. He says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, he could have told them, you need to go out and just talk to everyone you can and, and share the message of the gospel. He, he could have told them all kinds of things, and those are great realities. But the very first thing he challenged them to do was to pray. I think that's very interesting. I won't belabor this point. There's a lot that we could say about this, but the reality is that this word for pray is the same word that is often used of those who came to Jesus in physical need. It's the same word that's used by the man whose son was demon-possessed. His son was throwing himself into the fire. And the man came to Jesus, and he prayed. He begged Jesus on his hands and knees that his son would be healed, that he would be freed from this demon. He was desperate because no one else could help him. It's the same word that's used of a blind man who called out to Jesus, asking to be healed of his blindness that his eyes would be opened because he was desperate. No doctor could do that. He knew only Jesus could do that. You know, and the reality is as believers that we cannot save souls. We can study scripture. We can get education. We can get experience in life. But the reality is that our words don't save people. We are merely the instruments of God to share the gospel. Only God, through his Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus Christ, can save souls. You know, the reality is we couldn't even save ourselves. So in due time, Christ died for us so that we could have eternal life, so that our sins could be forgiven. And the reality is that when we pray to God, when we beg for him to do the work, we're showing our submission to him. Just like the harvest out in the field... You could do all the preparation, but, you know, ultimately it's God that brings up the seed, isn't it? You're really in God's hand. He's the one that brings the rain. He's the one that sends the sun. He's the one that causes those plants to grow because he produced them. The same is true spiritually as well. The spiritual life of individuals is in God's hand. We are merely the instruments to share the gospel and to be there to reap the harvest, to be the laborers. So Christ says, pray, beg earnestly, be desperate, asking that the Lord of the harvest, the one who is in charge of souls, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, he didn't ask that we would pray for souls to be saved. We certainly should be doing that. But he said, pray that God will send forth laborers into the harvest. It's kind of interesting. And I think, first of all, you can't pray for something that you're not willing to do yourself. He's talking to the disciples who were already going to be laborers. 
But how could you pray for someone to be a laborer when you're not doing it yourself? That's pretty hypocritical, isn't it? First of all, I think we need to examine our own hearts and say, are we really sharing the gospel? Are are we really living out our testimony? Is that a a driving force in our lives? We're never going to pray this prayer. We're never going to be desperate about souls until we're willing to do it ourselves. You're never going to have a heart for missions if you don't have a heart for souls right here in the United States. The second thing I think we can say is you can have an impact on the harvest field by recruiting others through prayer. Pray that God will do a work in hearts. You know, you could coerce your children and your grandchildren and others to share the gospel, but so much better if God convicts their heart because you're praying that he will, right? Because that's something that's going to last. My parents, I'm so thankful for them. I grew up in a pastor's home. They prayed diligently that God would use us. And I'm thankful for their prayers because I'm confident that because of their prayers and their willingness and their encouragement to allow us to serve God with our lives, God has called me to Brazil. I have a twin brother who's in Uganda. I have a brother who's in Morocco as a missionary. God is using us because of the faithful prayers and the faithful challenge that my parents set before us, and they prayed that God would use us. And he is. It's nothing to brag about, but that's just an example of what God can do. God can use your prayers not only to challenge you to be a laborer, but also to challenge others, the next generation of laborers, to share the gospel here in the United States and around the world. So I ask you, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you see the spiritual needs and realities around you? you, Are you painfully aware that the world is like lost sheep without a shepherd that needs the gospel? Do you realize there is an opportunity You can continually be sharing the gospel because there's lots of people that need the gospel everywhere. But the laborers are great, are are very few. Will you pray earnestly? We pray about a lot of things. We pray about health. We pray about finances. We pray about um, other needs and things that we want to go our way. But very rarely are we desperate about praying for laborers. And maybe that's why the church is ineffective. As Andrew Murray said in The Key to the Missionary Problem, the problem is a personal problem with a spiritual spiritual solution. You know, don't worry about the doing before you worry about the praying because we can all pray. We can all make that the focus of our lives. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word and, Lord, for this challenge. Lord, we ask that you would send forth laborers into your harvest field. Lord, that we would give you the vision that you have. Lord, the mind of Christ. Lord, that you would help us to be laborers, Lord, and that you would send forth laborers from this congregation, Lord, to go out and to reach this community, Lord, and even to reach the world with the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Um, we're going to have.